Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So hello and welcome to the final episode of the Euro Trip for 2020-2021. Don't worry, it's not the final episode ever. Just put that disclaimer in there now. We will return, fear not. But for now, we of course must tell you that this episode of the Eurotrip is brought to you by the brilliant Queer Brewing Project and Cloudwater Soda. So if you've been listening over the last few weeks or so, you may well know that Queer Brewing is a queer-owned brewery looking to support and raise awareness for the LGBTQ plus community, all whilst raising money for relevant charities. And now this is the important bit, and you should know it by now because we've mentioned it a lot, but you can support Queer Brewing, Cloudwater Soda, and the podcast. How do we do that, Rob? I hear you cry. Well, listen up, everybody. You can go to thequeerbrewingproject.com and use the code EUROTRIP, that's all one word, EUROTRIP, for 10% off Queer Brewing's merch and beers, as well as Cloudwater Soda's alcohol-free drinks. And that code is valid until July the 31st, 2021. And now, James, in the words of Rafal, Let's ride. As Jan Alassane always said, take it away. After Hilversum, Amsterdam and The Hague, the festival is going to make its home in Rotterdam. I really hope that, you know, you will enjoy the show this year. I want to send a message to all the people. Join us on the dark side. 
Let's have a party in Rotterdam. I'm Rambo Amadeus. Hi, my name is Andrus Mamontovas. Hello, my name is Sana Nielsen. I'm Paul Harrington. And I am Charlie McGettigan, believe it or not. I'm Dave Benton, winner of the Eurovision 2001. Hey, I'm Eldar, the winner of Eurovision 2011. Hi, I'm Chris Bjorkman. Hi there, my name is Martin Estadal. I am the executive supervisor of the Eurovision Song Contest. You are listening to Eurotrip. Hello and welcome to the Eurotrip, your favourite Eurovision podcast with me, James. Me, Rob. And this week, well, we're doing things a little bit differently. Later on in the podcast, we will be joined by a plethora of special guests as we revisit some of our favourite moments from the last year. Because, of course, I've already said it, it is our final episode of the 2020-2021 Eurovision year. Quite difficult to say, 2020-2021. It really is. It really is. Sorry if you heard me laugh there. Yeah, but it's so funny. You've said it twice now. But you saying the 2020-2021 season? Is that enough 20s? Just sounds so funny. Wasn't it you that on the podcast, when we were building up to to Rotterdam, I think, on one of our Almost Live from Rotterdam (laughs) episodes, you referred to the 2020-2022 contest? Yeah, and when we were talking about Dave Benton's house parties, wow, what conversation did we get ourselves into? But anyway, as well as looking back at some of our favourite memories of the last season here on the podcast, also I've been chatting to Dave Goodman. He is the communications lead for the EBU, of course the European Broadcasting Union who organise every single edition of the Eurovision Song Contest. And it's great to have him on the podcast because he's done some bits and pieces for us behind the scenes and really helped us get some great guests and some great interviews. So great to hear from him and great to get his perspective on what it was like for the EBU to organise this year's event. And fear not, it would not be the final episode of this year's Eurotrip without not one, but two editions of the One Second Song. We left you hanging last week but we come back strong with two osses, as we like to call it, behind the scenes this week. Yes, we do. So we've got all that and more to come. You're listening on Acast, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. This is the Eurotrip. So here we are then, purely for James's amusement. It is the final episode of the Eurotrip <laughs> for 2020-2021. Oh no. And it is both a pleasure and slightly emotional to be with you. Going to miss you, everybody. We certainly are. I was looking up the um, the numbers the other day about how many episodes we've done. Uh, thankfully, we number some of the episodes. Unhelpful. Some of them. Unhel- some of them. <laughs> yeah, unhelpfully. We don't number some of the rest. But we've definitely done in excess of 60 episodes since we uh, launched back in, the, back in the summer last year. August the 5th, I believe, episode number one came out. And what a journey we've been on. We have had an absolute ball doing these, haven't we? We certainly have. From the days of, you may remember this if you were listening back in August, from the days of the European quiz. Do you remember the European quiz? I love the European quiz, actually. That was one of my favourite parts of the podcast when we first started, when we used to be quizzed on a random European country and typically we'd never get any of them right. But that was a fun start, wasn't it? Yeah, if you think you're a relatively new listener and you're thinking what on earth was the European quiz, basically uh, our pal Sam came on asked us a few random questions, as James said, about just bizarre countries. Often ended up being about prisons. I seem to remember there being a question about an Estonian prison, um, and it was underwater for some reason. Don't know what the answer was to that question. Uh, But what you need to know is, we were worse at that than we are at the one second song. So that tells you how bad we actually were. 
Yeah, absolutely. We've come a long way, if you are a new listener, it's safe to say that you get the polished version of the podcast. We were just starting out at the beginning and we did some very strange things. But as we say, we've done some incredible things. We've spoken to some wonderful people. We've had a great reception from everybody who's listening. And it's just been so, so fun to be able to bring you the Eurovision Song Contest in a little bit of a different way and hopefully give you an insight that you that you don't get elsewhere. Absolutely. We will be back, though. That's the important thing. That's what we want to state. We may be disappearing for a few weeks from your feeds, but we will be back at some point in the summer to start properly our build-up to Eurovision 2022. Nearly slipped into it again there, didn't I? (laughs) But before then, I just want to read out this tweet from Michael. Michael, thank you for listening. Michael is a listener who listens to the podcast in New York, which is always very exciting for me. Uh, and he tweeted on May the 28th. So when was May the 28th? It was it was Friday. So Friday night. And Michael just thought, you know what? I'm going to tweet this because I'm getting emotional about it. And he just tweeted, going through Eurotrip podcast withdrawal. And you know what, Michael? I'm sure you're not the only one. I'm sure there will be tears across Europe after people have finished listening to this episode. Europe and beyond. Don't forget, a massive amount of listeners in Brazil for some reason. I still can't get my head around that. Yes. Obrigada, Brazil. <laughs> Obrigado? Obrigada. Oh, it depends, doesn't it? Oh, I don't know. You said them both. I think you've covered all bases. Well done. Let's move on. <laughs> listeners in Brazil finally thinking, finally, some content specifically catered for us. <laughs> uh, the big question that we need to get to before we get to some of our favourite moments from the podcast, which we'll be doing a little bit later on, have you posted Miles's special package? Because you may remember from listening to last week's episode, Miles was the winner of the Eurotrips Eurovision 2021 sweepstake, meaning he won James's box of fun Eurovision memorabilia. Uh, what was the question? Have I posted it? Yes. Um, no, I haven't. Right, right. Um, you've been busy? Yeah, something like that. Something like that. Um, the way you're shifting around there would suggest that you've lost the box. Have you lost the box? I haven't looked for the box since I last moved it. I know it's somewhere. If you're listening, you will get your box. You will get the, the prize for the Eurovision sweepstake at some point. Uh, but if you if you want to chip in for the postage and packaging, you're very welcome to. Because as we mentioned last week, goodness knows how much it's going to cost. But uh, joking aside, you will get the prize. I assure you, at some point... This month, there we go. We can we can put it to bed. You'll get it this month. I enjoy that you're safe in saying this month, given that we're recording on the first. Yes, I've given myself the largest possible window, <laughs> aren't I? Really, uh, seeing it on the first. But yes, the package will be delivered sometime in June. There you are. You can play that back to the uh, law enforcement agencies when they come round James's house <laughs> and they go, "You promised this man a package." And uh, you don't deliver on that promise. Uh, Needless to say as well, I just want to reassure everybody after what James just said, we're not launching a crowdfunding appeal to send a package to Cologne (laughs) in Germany. So don't worry. If you see anything in James's name that looks like that, it's purely James trying to fund his summer holiday. And it's got nothing to do with this podcast. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Now then, shall we move on? We are going to look back at some of our favourite memories from the podcast. Um, from over the last, what is it, nine months we've been doing it now? We'll be doing that very, very shortly. But first, shall we have a chat with Dave Goodman, communications lead 
at the EBU. Now, of course, this man has a lot of responsibilities over at the European Broadcasting Union, who are the organisers of the Eurovision Song Contest that we all know and love. And also, he's been very helpful to us here on the podcast, and he has helped us get some wonderful interviews, not least the one with Martin Ustadal, the new executive supervisor of the Eurovision Song Contest. Uh, but we had to get him on for a bit of a chat because he was one of the lucky ones who was in Rotterdam. He was inside the, the Ahoy last month for the 2021 contest. Uh, so we chat about all sorts of things, including the incredible reaction that has been to the contest over the last couple of weeks or so. But I started off by asking him how important it was for the EBU that the contest came back in 2021. Well, as you say, it was imperative that we brought the song contest back and we definitely, you know, wanted to ensure that there was a competition this year in some form. And obviously, as we've all been facing in our lives, so much uncertainty over the past 12 months. So we had to plan for every eventuality, not knowing what May 2021 was going to look like. So we began straight away after Shine a Light in 2020 as you say, with with looking at the rules, which we do every year, but obviously the rules had to be amended to to ensure that we could have a competition uh, and we could have a competition that was possibly a remote one. And that's where the live on tapes, which we've all become very familiar with, came in, that we could have a competition that wasn't necessarily going to be in Rotterdam or live. That had to be uh, there on the table because we didn't know where we were going to be the following year. So we started planning in May, 2020 for four different scenarios as you probably are more than aware the the four different ones a b c and d that went from being a normal eurovision right down to a lockdown eurovision and those scenarios were also changed over the year and the rules obviously came in the summer they were sent out to everybody all the participating broadcasters which included a change in the backing singer rule as well that backing singers could be on tape so we could allow for smaller delegations so it would take the pressure off the the broadcasters bringing numbers to Rotterdam if we got to Rotterdam and then of course we were looking at uh, the live on tapes and getting those recorded and putting that into the rules and and just working with NOS, NPO and Avro Tross over those 12 months um, on on making sure that we we got the Eurovision Song Contest back and 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 it was all changed all the time and we had to remain really agile to make sure that that we we got this this show back on the road again. Some people might have looked at these, you know, four scenarios that were put forward and thought, well, that's good. They've got four plans. We're going to get a, a song contest in some shape or form. But let's not forget, this must have been an immense extra amount of workload for the EBU and the broadcasters just to ensure this could go ahead because they weren't just playing for a normal Eurovision. But like you say, there was three extra scenarios that could have gone ahead that needed meticulous planning as well. Yeah, absolutely. We had to make sure that the competition returned and, and that was almost the, the easy part because that that could happen in any way as long as we had the songs recorded and that was one of the first things we did of course is to make sure that we would have songs on tape if necessary if we couldn't gather but then of course planning for that event as things started looking better in the summer and then uh, they'd look worse in the autumn 
obviously planning from on site had to change in terms of the scale of the event, in terms of uh, how big the spaces were, how big the press centre would be, how big the delegation bubble would be. That was changing all the time in terms of being able to socially distance. So there was a lot of, of moving around and, and moving the planning and a lot of discussion uh, all the way through the year. And even up until April, I suppose, when a few weeks before the event, we, we only got the decision on audiences from the Dutch authorities then and the live on tapes from each of the 39 broadcasters as well shows the commitment they had to go to as well not only the ebu with the four scenario planning and the host broadcaster for their different planning as well but each of the individual broadcasters put in a huge amount of extra commitment too didn't they yeah and that was an extra extra amount of work for them of course because uh, that had to be delivered by the end of March and and they all committed to that and which we were so grateful for because obviously it was important to make sure that there were those those songs which are the integral part of of the competition but what we also had last year as as so many of us got used to was was a lot of communication and zoom calls and teams calls with all the broadcasters so you know kudos to all the broadcasters that took part because as we saw in the eurovision song celebration now we've seen all the live on tapes they put so much effort into that and that was an extra an extra ask of them. The cooperation with the the Dutch government as well must be crucial in making the contest happen this year. Yeah, there was a lot of dialogue with the authorities in the Netherlands. Uh, a lot of that handled, of course, by the host broadcaster, by by MPO, NOS, and, and Avro Trust. But they were integral. The the, the government and the and the health authorities really were the ones that, that helped the song contest to happen. We couldn't do it without them. We had to follow their guidance and their guidelines all the time. And of course, we we produced a, a health and safety protocol that was uh, uh, in line with the Dutch uh, government restrictions and. and and health and safety measures uh, that was also looked at by a third party as well, a risk assessment company to make sure that it was in line with industry standards and and the uh, sporting federations that were also hosting events in the last year. So there was a lot of dialogue with with the government and and, and all the way through we said that we wouldn't do anything without without their permission, without their uh, authority, so to speak, because it was important that to bring people together safely, it had to be done within the uh, rules and the, the regulations and the laws of the, the host country. And uh, we very much worked alongside them. You mentioned the health and safety protocol as well that ensured, as we said before, the event could take place. You were on the ground in Rotterdam. You will have gone through all of the procedures that everyone had to go through. Can you give us an idea about what it was like to you know, go from a hotel room to arrive at the venue and take the tests? What was all of that procedure like? Well, it was very different Eurovision this year because of that. And um, those of us who've uh, got used to sort of the PCR testing, you know, found it quite a strange experience to be doing this at Eurovision, because obviously Eurovision is a place where people gather and get close together. And, and obviously people haven't seen each other for, for a long time. At a normal Eurovision, sometimes it's, it's the next year you haven't seen people since the last Eurovision. So people want to get together. So the, the restrictions there were, 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 very, were very difficult. But 
looking at from the point of view of, of arrival, for instance, when you got there, we were taken from the airport straight to the arena to be tested. Even though we'd come already with the PCR test, we had to get tested at the arena before we could get our accreditation. And that was the same for everybody who was attending, from the crew to the delegations, to everybody, to the artists. You had to have a test before you could get into the arena. Uh, and then after that, you were tested every 48 hours. So what would happen is that you would get, you would, uh, your badge would only allow you into the arena if you had a negative test. And the testing center was next to the arena and, and you'd, it would last 48 hours, your access to the arena. So you'd have to remember to go every 48 hours, otherwise you couldn't get back in again. Or in my case, for example, my, uh, my pass had expired and I couldn't get into the, the catering. <laughs> uh, so I had to then go and get a test. That was very frustrating that evening. So as you can imagine, but that protocol and keeping uh, the testing and, and everyone keeping their social distance and wearing masks at all time. We had to wear specific black masks in the arena as well. They had to be, uh, you know, the only ones we were allowed to wear were the ones that were given out. All of that helped to keep the production safe. And, and minimize the risk of, of the spread of COVID. So it was really important that everyone bought into that. It just shows how stringent the rules are when uh, when you can't go for your lunch on a, on a certain day. My heart breaks, really, honestly. I don't know what I'd do in that situation. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, do you want to make everybody jealous and just tell them, of course, you were there at the venue. Whereabouts were you when the three live shows were going on? Because I presume you were one of the very few lucky ones who was in and around the arena. Well, I was obviously based in the arena, but actually not inside the arena because there was, part, as part of the protocol, actually, when there was an audience in the, the shows, and we had nine shows that had audience, so six dress rehearsals and the three live shows, we couldn't go into the arena. So during the actual shows, I was in what's called the viewing room, which you probably know about, which is where the artists and the delegations go after their rehearsals in the first week to sort of look at what the, the show looks like uh, on stage and to make changes to the camera shots and that sort of thing and the, and the, and the lighting or whatever. So I was in the viewing room uh, during those just rehearsals and during the live shows um, with some of the production team, with some of the technical team, and also some of the people from the city of Rotterdam as well, um, just in case anything happened, of course, because there's always technical issues that can arise uh, or, or, you know, we have to be prepared for, for the, you know, something that, that might happen that we, we that could affect the production. So, so we were all together, which we wouldn't normally be in a normal year, but you would also be able, allowed to go into the arena in a normal year, but not this year. So I was actually watching it on television like everybody else uh, in the viewing room. What a strange situation. You travel all the way to Rotterdam and you watch it on TV like the rest of us. How crazy. <laughs> now, there must be, looking back now after three live shows for the 2021 contest, there must be a massive positive reaction from the EBU. Maybe you can take us through some of the viewing figures that were released earlier in the week and that you mentioned earlier on. But now that shows are all over and we are about to look ahead to 2022, but as we just look back at 2021 for a little bit, there must be a massive positive reaction to all the three live shows yeah it was incredible I, I think there was just like an outpouring of emotion as well during the week of the event um from from everyone online and we had the most amazing engagement online this year um 
thanks to the hard work of the, the team I work with, Michael Lowther, who was leading our social media team. Uh, we had Eduardo Lobo, who was on the social media as well, with Nora Ryan, Stein, of course, doing YouTube with Helena Nielsen, Rob Holly, Heidi Stevens, who are on the web. All of those people working together, creating amazing content uh, for all our online channels. But the reception was incredible uh, in terms of the way people were, were excited by the return of this event. And I think people have been uh, uh, on their own at home for so long. And television has changed a lot in the last year in terms of the production. There's been no audiences. TV shows have got smaller. And here we were back with three huge productions. And we couldn't be happier with how, how it was received on television in terms of the audience. I mean, we were up uh, on the numbers for, for 2019 um, with 183 million people who, who saw the Eurovision Song Contest this year across those three shows. Uh, and the numbers were up in many countries, in the UK, uh, in Germany, obviously in Italy, in the winning country, and in the Netherlands, the host country, uh, numbers massively up in terms of the audience. So we couldn't be happier with, with, with the reception. And, and I think also the appreciation of, of the quality of the competition this year, there was a lot of comments uh, in the media, and, and, and depends on which part of Europe you're in, of course, the way the media writes about this event. But there was so much love for this event coming back and also comments on the quality of the music this year. And we've seen, obviously, since the shows, that the songs of this year, which are the most important part of the Eurovision Song Contest, are huge hits. And there's huge success for all the artists that have taken part and and it's just incredible the the, the wave of of success that the, that has greeted the the artists and and the, the return of the song contest so it's it's been really emotional for all of us uh, but we're so pleased that that we've come back not just with the eurovision but with with the best ever eurovision i think oh yeah for sure and thank you for mentioning some of the names of your colleagues who don't get the credit sometimes they deserve because I imagine you know there's a huge team of people at the EBU who you know, poured their heart and souls into this contest over the last 12 months or so you know you've mentioned the viewing figures too you've mentioned the way the songs have charted it has been an incredible reaction to this year's contest but very quickly can we touch on 2022 because everybody will be looking ahead to it now what happens next when can we expect things what will happen between now and Italy 2022? Well, there's a bit of a breather right now when we also take stock and and sort of, um, yeah, just, I think, just be grateful that we were part of something that was so incredible. I mean, something that brought so much joy. And I'm lucky to have this job. I, I never take it for granted, you know, looking after the communications for this event. And it's sometimes challenging. But it's so satisfying when you get those shows out. And of course, you can't forget the huge numbers of crew and production team and everyone in the Netherlands who, who, who were responsible, who did a fantastic job at making the, those shows look, look amazing. But you take a little bit of time now to just sort of, you know, look back and reflect and think, wow, you know, this was something special. We achieved something really special that really touched people's lives. And that is you know, a, an amazing thing to be part of. But what happens in the next few weeks is, is we don't really get a chance to stay still for too long because um, in about two weeks' time, we gather in Geneva, hopefully, if we, if we can, and we haven't gathered for a long time with the reference group and with the host broadcaster this year and, of course, the host broadcaster for next year, which is Rai in Italy. Uh, we'll hopefully bring everyone together in, in Geneva safely at EBU headquarters and we start looking at 
at next year. And, and of course, the first stage of that is the handover between the two host broadcasters. Um, and then we start looking for a host city, which will take place over the summer. Well, it's safe to say that we all enjoyed Eurovision 2021. And as you can tell, everybody is very excited about the prospect of Eurovision in Italy next year. Dave, thank you uh, on behalf of everybody for, for the hard work of the EBU for this year. And thank you so much for joining us today. Really, really appreciate your time. This is the Euro Trip. When you aren't listening, you can find us on social media. We're at Eurotrip Podcast. Warming you up for the Eurovision Song Contest. So a huge thank you to Dave Goodman, communications lead at the European Broadcasting Union, for joining us on the podcast this week, for having a chat with James, and as we've already said, for all of his help in getting us some of the big exclusive interviews that we've been able to bring you over the last few months, including Martin Oosterdahl, which was brilliant to bring you. And of course, we will be looking back at some of our favourite moments from the last year on the podcast very, very shortly. But first, a very quick message about the brilliant Queer Brewing Project and Cloudwater Soda. You know this already. They are helping us bring you today's episode. Cloudwater Soda, of course, part of Cloudwater Brew Co. And they provide great alternative drinks if you're looking for something alcohol-free. That's right. And right now, Cloudwater Soda and the Queer Brewing Project are working together on a new soda collaboration. The end result being a delicious new drink called Blossom, and it'll be packed full of banana, orange and a hint of coriander seed. Can't forget that coriander seed. That collab will be ready soon. In the meantime, though, why not check out their websites? They are thequeerbrewingproject.com, all one word, and cloudwatersoda.co. And use the code EUROTRIP. It looks really good on us if you use the code, by the way. So if you can use the code, that'd be great. Code, The code EUROTRIP, all one word, 10% off queer brewing beers and merch and Cloudwater Soda's range, including some of the delicious drinks we've already told you about. The mango sour, honestly, the raspberry lemonade, it's all good stuff. That code valid until July the 31st, 2021. This is the EUROTRIP. As you know by now, this is the Eurotrip and it is our final episode of the, get ready for it, 2020-2021 season and it's a pleasure to have you along with us. That'll never not be funny, will it? No, well done that man. Well done. You got it out. Um, If you want to be really lovely, and we want you to be really lovely because we love the attention, feel free to tell us how much you're going to miss us. Hello at EuroTripPodcast.com on the email, at EuroTripPodcast on Twitter and Instagram. Drop us a message. We'll like it. Might even give you a reply. Probably will give you a reply. We don't get, like, that many messages. (laughs) I mean, it's just rude if we don't reply. We'll reply. Yes, we will. We appreciate all the feedback, all the messages. What do you mean, yes, we will? Every time you see a reply on the Eurotrip account, it's me. You haven't replied to anybody. (laughs) Because you're so quick to it. You're desperate for the attention. You're quick. Oh, somebody (laughs) sent a message. Quick, let me reply. It's like I've got friends. People like me. That's what's going on in your end. (laughs) Because it's the only time my phone goes off. That's why. Nobody else is getting in touch. Yeah, it's either either the podcast account on Twitter or me pestering you about something to do with the podcast. That's the only time you've... Or my mum sometimes complaining that I haven't called frequently enough. <laughs> One of those three things. Anyway, please get in touch. Hello at youtubepodcast.com and the emails at youtubepodcast on Twitter and Instagram. We always love to hear from you. But let's look back at the last 
nine months of the podcast because we've had some incredible conversations, some great conversations that have had a wonderful reaction from you online. So thank you as ever for getting in touch. So we thought we'd play you some of our favourite memories that we've had while speaking to some of these amazing guests who have done all sorts to do with the Eurovision Song Contest. I've picked three out. Rob, you have also picked three out. And they come from a wide range of backgrounds and have a very... Got yourself stuck now, haven't you? Where are you going with this? I don't know where I'm going with this. Are we going to keep this in the podcast? Oh, thanks for that. I think we are, yeah. They've got a very (laughs) what? They've got a very something. Oh, wow. You can tell we've done 60-odd episodes in the last nine months, can't you? Well, you could have used one of your token phrases. They've got a very interesting story to tell. Yes, they do have a very interesting story to tell. And as I say, we've picked out three each. And I'm doing it again. I'm going to get myself lost. But I'll tell you what. We're going to start with one of mine, and that'll soon get me out of this overlanding myself. The first one I'm going to start with is Diedrich Solly Tangen. Now, if you don't remember, he represented Norway on home soil back in 2010, following Alexander Reback's victory in 2009. Uh, and he joined us on the podcast back in October. Um, in the same episode, let me remind you that Rob reminisced about some sort of love story to do with Diedrich's song. Look at your face, do you remember? Yeah, I uh, I wrote the lyrics uh, to uh, Diedrich's Eurovision song in a Valentine's Day card. Yes, I did. That's the thing I did. No regrets. Please go and listen back to that episode. It was back in October, and you can hear how Rob tried to bag himself a Valentine's date using a Eurovision song. It's not to be missed. Anyway, we chatted to Diedrich about all sorts, including uh, Melody Grand Prix, his life after Eurovision. Uh, but this was a standout memory for me in the chat when I asked him if he was happy with his 20th place result in the grand final. At the end of the night in 2010, you finished in 20th place overall. Was that a good result for you? Were you quite happy with the, the result you got in the end? No, no, not no, at all. No. no, not at all. Uh, I, I, was, I was really hoping to like, do it like, really good because I, I knew we had a, good, we had a great, great song. And I guess that if, if I had done, um, I, I think if I've done this, the same thing that I did in the region finals, with the violin girls and everything that we did and the and the white jacket, I think just with that we have we had done a lot better because I felt that the Eurovision number was a bit anonymous. You know what I mean? It was just so dark and and it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't the happy the happy thing that I wanted it to be in the first place. So, but but. I think the plan from from NRK and the Norwegian uh, um, like group it wanted to be like ex- exclusive and uh, something uh, like special and uh, you know but I think I think when I think back on it now I think just everybody overthought everything. How long did it take you to sort of? not be happy necessarily, but did, did that result sort of play on your mind for quite a long time after the event? Yeah, of course it did. And I think that it taken me also, not just only the, the competition, but I've always been, after the, the school, I went to the, the classical school and everything like that. I've always been obsessed with the, the thought of doing what I think that other would like, if you know what I mean, and not what I feel. 
so I, and I think that over the years I've been more, especially the last last three years, maybe after I got a child and and, and now two children, I um, I've gotten a more confidence in just what I do and what I am. And then I think that. I think that that's that's maybe the most important thing that you can have as an artist is, is just to to have confidence in what you do and that what you do is good. This is the Euro trip. So there is the first of our lookbacks at the last year. Uh, you mentioned on your way into Dietrich there that I was trying to secure a Valentine's date. I'll have you know I secured a Valentine's date with that card and we went to Pizza Hut. Okay, so what you've done there is actually just ruined the suspense because what I was trying to do was for new listeners try and entice them with an older episode of the podcast to get people listening to more episodes, but now you've just given it away. These people are busy. The idea of me going on a date to Pizza Hut's not gonna get them back, is it? I'm not giving <laughs> I'm not giving them a personal all you can eat buffet. <laughs> well, anyway, do you wanna do one of yours in case we get into some tangent about God knows what else? Absolutely. Uh, although the garlic terringer, I seem to remember. <laughs> Excellent. Anyway, uh, yeah, let's, shall we? Uh, we are staying in the Scandinavian geographic location for my first one. Uh, we are going to Sweden. And one of the first people I spoke to was the prolific Eurovision backing singer, Dean Orberg. You may remember she popped up on Melfest Monday as well, when we were obviously looking at everything that was going on in Sweden back in February and March. Now, this woman has sung at the Eurovision Song Contest, I think, more times than anybody else. She has been a backing singer for Sweden numerous times. In 2016, she was a backing singer for both Dami Im and for Azerbaijan, so for Australia and for Azerbaijan that year. But I asked her about whether or not there was ever any moments where things hadn't gone quite to plan. And she took me back to the 2009 contest in Moscow. When I did uh, the Eurovision in Moscow with Mal- Malena Anman, Lavoie, with those masks and very, um, like everything was, had to be really perfect with the angles and everything. It was this huge arena and I got the wrong pack for my in-ears. So I didn't hear a thing. I just heard like it was quiet and then you have the in-ears in, and then you have a microphone in your hand, and then you have this thing in your hand. So you can't really do anything. Uh, you can't take them out because you filmed all the time. Uh, and it was, I mean, it was one of the last rehearsals or something. I don't know, but it felt, you know, all the rehearsals are important because you have so few on stage. So I didn't get any sound. So I, uh, I didn't sing. I was just doing that, trying to focus, trying to look in the camera when I was supposed to, but I couldn't feel the beat because it was like this in this big arena. So I was just looking at my friends, okay, they're taking this turn now. And I just tried to feel it, but it was horrible. So when they were like, okay, thank you, Sweden. And we went off stage and everyone was like, that was great. (laughs) And I was like, that was terrible. I had an Italian woman laughing in my ears the whole time because you know it was switched yeah, yeah. so i can hear someone like blah, 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 but you almost want to like can we take this from the beginning <laughs> but you don't you know you just do but it was scary that was scary and one time with carola in um 
Athens. Uh, I got stuck with my heel. It's funny. I'm like working so hard to just get my foot up. So I'm almost like uh, losing my shoe there. I got stuck. But I, I, you can't see it really well, but you can, if you look at me, you can see, oh, there, that's the moment she got stuck. I think you can <laughs> see that, actually. Always lovely to hear Dia Norberg here on the Eurotrip. As Rob mentioned, she was one of the first big interviews we ever did on the podcast. And then she rejoined us for one of the episodes of Melfest Monday. And she's always an absolute delight to chat to. But now we move on. But we're going to stay in Sweden and move over to Linnea Deb. Now, she, of course, is a Eurovision winning songwriter. She's won Melfest three times. She won Eurovision in 2015 as the songwriter of Heroes and has basically been there and done it when it comes to songwriting across Europe. Um, Now, I mentioned that she has won Melfest three times, but when I spoke to her in March, she'd only won it twice because her third victory came this year with Tusa and Voices. And here she is talking about the songwriting process for that song alongside her ex-husband and songwriting partner, Joy Deb. Well, that's a big song. Um... Uh, I feel like uh, that's in both mine and Joy's pocket in a way. Uh, um, well, working with Tusse was um, like, he is so professional. He is so happy and easygoing and just lovable. Uh, we did a few songs actually, because his uh, label wanted him to do other music or, or another kind of music but we we really like believe in the song so we said no we're not going to do it that way we're going to do it this way and then uh, in the end everyone everybody got convinced uh so um i i convinced him to go down to stockholm because he was up in dalarna um, middle north of sweden and i think he was going to take his driver's license the day after so he was like <gasps> I'm not sure I can come. And I said, okay, I'll pay for your, I'll pay for your travel down. Uh, just get here. We have the song. And he did. And uh, here we are. So it's a good yeah. job. You, uh, he actually came along to the studio then, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not sure if you got the driver's license. So. <laughs> <laughs> Melody number two. Voices with set. So we are veritably, I think that's a word, racing through our look back at our favourite moments from 2020, 2020, 2021. <laughs> that was too many 20s, wasn't it? I'm sure it was too many 20s. I'm sure it was. I'm honestly not even sure what year I'm saying at this point. Uh, but we were speeding through it until that moment there. Uh, we have already heard from Dean Orberg. We've heard from Diedrich Solitangen. This isn't in the right order. And you just said there from Linnea Deb. And now we are going to Norway because we are going to everybody's favourite Norwegian band that competed in the Eurovision Song Contest in 2019, which I appreciate narrows it down quite a lot. Uh, We're talking, of course, about Kaino, who we all love. I don't think I've ever met anyone who doesn't like Kaino, understandably. Uh, We had the chance, or at least I had the chance to have a chat to them just before the Melody Grand Prix final, of course. Uh, Didn't go that well for them that night, of course. They were runners-up. They did okay. But I think at that stage, we were all expecting they would be flying the Norwegian flag at Eurovision this year. But the part of the interview I want to bring you now is a question about how they first 
came together, how Kino came to be, and how a lunch date was involved. I remember that moment. Uh, I remember us meeting up for lunch first. Like we started chatting. It was a bit difficult to know, like, know what we're going to talk about. Like, okay, who, what are we doing? Let's get to know each other. But point when we uh, took step into the studio, everything changed. I felt that like, this is where I belong. And it was like this immediate connection. Like mm. we could communicate so well just after like a few hours of knowing each other. And just like the vibe was good. And since then, like everything's been great. Yeah. Yeah. It was something it was, special. But it was kind of like, it was a weird moment as well. It was almost like this was a like a planned wedding. And, uh, <laughs> and then it was like, yeah. now the uh, the bride and the groom are meeting for the first time to this lunch. And now we're going to do the thing. Yeah. Because we had this, like, we've been, we've been working, uh, like, of course, writing and, and working together, uh, like, online. But we had never met together. Or, or, and then we had to, uh, we already got the place in Melody Grand Prix. And we had to send in the finished mix in four days. So we knew that, okay, we are going to be together on stage in January. And now we're meeting for the first time three weeks before, or, like, four weeks before. So it was, it was really, uh, uh, and it just had to work because, but we didn't know. It no. so. you, you guys have had so many shared experiences, but I really want to know if you do remember what you had for lunch that day you met up. We had we, Thai. Yeah, yeah. Thai. Mm. Was it you that ordered a very, very spicy one? Yes, yeah. we spicy, red curry. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that you were like, yeah, I want your spicy. Yeah. Like, and then you- You, you just, were sweating. Yeah. <laughs> you guys were talking about the, the collaborations you were doing online before, of course, you did meet up in, in the Thai restaurant, as you've just mentioned there. Was Spirit in the Sky one of the things that you were collaborating on? Or, or Tom, did you bring that to the rest of the guys? Yeah, that was Spirit in the Sky, yeah. We'd, uh, I'd made a, like a, a sketch uh, without the yoik parts and then uh, Fred added the yoik and the, and the, and the rap. That suddenly, that, but that, the rap was uh, taken away in the song uh, at, uh, on a later point because we felt it was a bit too much at that point. <laughs> uh, and uh, so the epic yoik uh, in, the, in the mid eight wasn't, that wasn't created before we were in studio actually yeah, after after it, yeah. the after the, uh, the the spicy tie yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that actually did do something the spicy curry yeah maybe that, that, curry. that was the first time i had ever yoked on a song it was spirit in sky so it was a it was very uh, it was a great moment when i could do that As Rob said beforehand, I don't think I have ever met anybody else who doesn't like Kano. And I'm going to call him Kano. You called him Kaino twice there. Are you, um, is this a bit of a battle, a bit of a tete-a-tete between the two of us? Kaino versus Kano. I think everybody knows who we're talking about, don't they? Yeah, okay. Somebody's getting quite defensive very immediately. Shall we move on? Not not getting defensive on a Leslie Roy map scale, <laughs> but fairly defensive, yeah. Yeah, maybe we could have spoken about the whole Eurovision song celebration that was on uh, last weekend, but maybe we don't have time. Maybe we'll. How good was Rafal though? How good was Rafal? No, no, we're not going to talk about Rafal. We're not going to talk about Rafal. Not again. We've mentioned Rafal too many times on the podcast so far. Let's ride. Go on. Let's ride, indeed. I'm going to take you over to the United Kingdom for my third and final memory of the podcast over the last few months or so, because. 
back in March, I had the pleasure of speaking to the one and only Daz Samson. And he has to be one of my favourite interviews I've done for the podcast because he's just so candid about everything. And I mean everything, because nothing in that interview was off limits. We chatted about Athens 2006, his two attempts to represent Belarus at the contest since then. And he also had this quite... And he also had this very revealing revelation about his songwriting career, which he will get to after talking about what he likes to call the Eurovision cocoon. The cocoon that goes into, I mean, the Eurovision fans are phenomenal, phenomenal. Now, I get an an copious amount of stick off them. I don't know why, but I still love them for the fact that there's so many different cultures, there's so many different um, genres represented. It's just a phenomenal thing. Again, getting back to the football thing, football is a massive part of my life. Getting back to the football thing, it was the equivalent of playing in the World Cup. It was the musical equivalent of playing in the World Cup. The problem being is the fact that when it finishes, you just go like and drop and there's no safety net for how it prepares you because leading up to it, you're like on everything, blah, 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 blah. It's a big, big build. But as soon as the competition finishes, you don't do well you are dropped down like that. And it is the curse of Eurovision. So much so that since Eurovision, I've had five top 20 hit records, uh, which you will never know about because I've written them for other people under a different name and I've signed disclosures. In the last 14 months alone, I have written two songs, which I was to play you or anybody else should go, no way has he written that. Just because he doesn't have my name on it doesn't mean I haven't written it. But unfortunately, the curse of Eurovision makes me not be able to publicly broadcast that. Because as soon as you say Daz Sampson, you think of some idiot jumping around the stage rapping with an American accent. And I will never, ever be able to leave that. So you can't tell us what those songs are then? Because I'm, I'm desperate to know. Let's put it this way. One of them, Colossal. Let's just say Anthem within the last 14 months. And we'll just leave it at that. I'll give you a clue. American artist. Let's leave it at that. One of them. And one of them is, believe it or not, uh, a very well-established um, guitar band. Yes, that surprises you as well, doesn't it? Here we go. This is, this is the Euro Trip. Euro Trip. And to wrap up, our favourite guests from the last few months. I say favourite. These are purely the highlights. We've got lots of favourites. If any of you are listening out there, we love you all equally. Well, not all of you equally i'll let you guess which one's who anyway it is time for my (laughs) final one it is krista bjorkman of course it had to be because this is easily i'm gonna say it the best conversation i have had over the last few months because me and krista sat down honestly for about two hours that you may have seen on twitter near the time um we revealed that krista was just sipping on a wine throughout this uh throughout this interview and that may be why things got pretty interesting as the interview went on, he got pretty revealing. He gave us a lot of details that I'm not sure he's spoken about before. And that is what I want to play for you now. Because I asked him what his favourite contests had been to work on. Of course, he's been the producer of many Eurovisions down the years. He begins with a very obvious answer. But he then takes us to tales of Ukraine in 2017. We'll be there shortly. But as I mentioned... It began with a simple question. Krista, what has been your favourite Eurovision Song Contest? Well, uh, on two different levels. Uh, I mean, 16, obviously, 
we got the opportunity to actually win so close to to each other the, the years that we could use the experience from 13 and to avoid almost every mistake in 16 and it was such a brilliant smooth ride and we we also i mean nailed i i think lots of the things in the show that could be problematic when you do it for the first time uh so I, 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 of course, that that sort of one that sticks out. Then it's it's fantastic to be with creative people from other cultures. It was fantastic in Lisbon. It was fantastic in Tel Aviv. Wonderful people, uh, eager to 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 just you know pick your brain on on everything that you know and then transform it into what they would like to do. And, and it was amazing. And then I must say that also a disaster like Kiev in the aftermath is interesting because I was thrown into that one, you know, like was five weeks before it broadcast or four even. Did I'm, I'm interested with that. Did did the the Ukrainian broadcaster come to you or did the EBU actually make a decision and say someone like Krista is who we need to sort out the, the situation? No, it was it was uh, it was actually the Ukrainians themselves because they I think the government threw out the old producer and brought in a new executive producer, the one who had done it in 2005. And he called me when I, I was in Armenia, actually, doing jury work. This is in December. And he said, could you stop on the way back, you know, to Sweden, stop in, in, in Kiev? And I was like, yeah, okay. And, and he, he offered me to be the producer of the show. I said, I can't do that. It's too late because I already committed to Melody Festival. I can do the contest, but I cannot do the full thing. And then he accepted that. And, and I was to start to go there the day after our final and then start to have a delegation meeting and then, you know, do, do the whole thing for the contest. And I came over and we, I did that for like the, the first month. And then all of a sudden he just kicked out the show producer and he said to me, I want you to do it. And I said, well, I've told you already in December. I, I, yeah, but you're here now. Yeah, but it's only four weeks to broadcast and, and we don't have anything, you know, it's like, but, but, okay, so I just had to do it. So I called a, a colleague from Sweden and said, you have to come over and help me and, and also sign one of the, uh, our choreographers that we use, use a lot. So I brought over two people and we managed to, to bring three shows on air, but it was... But as I said, it, it was a disaster and it was chaos, but it in the end, it was interesting because, okay, don't ever panic about anything because it can always be worse. And in the end, it still becomes TV. And it, it wasn't even bad. It was, it was quite okay, actually, uh, which took me a year to accept because I was like, this is horrible. I'll never look at this, never look at this. But then after I'd heard 
for a year, people saying he was quite good. I was like, really? And in the end, I had to look at it, and it is quite good. I mean, I mean, was there was there a time when you know the 2017 contest almost well not didn't get to wear because of course it's always going to get to wear, but was there a every time? day? Yeah, every day. It was. It, I mean, even even during the first broadcast, it was like I think we we took down the last audio uh, audio tapes uh, into the system like quarter to nine. You know, it's like because it was that's how late everything was and it was like okay and we didn't even have a chance to double check it that it was okay we just threw it in and it was like okay whatever live from kiev ukraine a warm welcome to the eurovision song contest 2017 with your hosts oleksandr skitsko volodymyr ostapchuk and timur miroshnichenko It's our honor and a great pleasure to welcome you all to the first semi-final of the Eurovision Song Contest here in Kyiv. Laskavo prosimo, do serca, Ukraine! And afterwards, I remember we sat in the Obi-Wan after the first semi, and uh, Anders, my colleague, turned around and looked at me and said, it worked, right? It, it was TV? Yay! Yay! <laughs> Uh, it was it was an experience. You said it just before we heard from Krista there that he was probably your favourite conversation that you've ever had. And that was one of my favourite interviews that I've had the pleasure of listening to. Or should I say watching, because I watched the video version of this. I uh, casted it to my uh, big TV screen in the living room just as my brother was getting home from work. So we both, I stopped the uh, stopped the video, we popped the kettle on, both sat down in the living room and just watched that. But like you say, it was, I think it was nearly two hours, the unedited version. And what a treat it was. Honestly, he was so, I think, like you say, he's a bit loose-lipped. But we got so many fantastic stories from it. Always a pleasure to hear from Krista. He's done so much good work for the contest. He has. And who knows, hopefully in 2021, 2022, slightly easier to say, uh, we'll have Krista back on because we've got an American Song Contest to talk about. He mentioned some of it in the interview that I had with him back in March, but there's lots more to say now. So Krista... If you're listening, bound to be. We want you back on, pal. We certainly do. When you're listening, you just hop on that email and we'll uh, we'll have you back. But if you've enjoyed those little snippets of our some of our favourite memories on the podcast over the last few months, don't forget all of the 60 plus episodes we've done with all of the fantastic guests are available for you to go and listen back to. If you're a bit of a new listener and you missed some of them, or if you happen to miss an episode every now and again, Scroll back as we are off for a few weeks and listen back to some of the interviews uh, that you may not have heard or listen back to some of your favourites. But for now, it's time to wrap up. But we can't do it without doing everybody's favourite. It's the one second song. It's one second song time. But normally you would only get one one second song because the title is literally called the one. No, it's called one second song because it's a one second clip, isn't it? Not because yeah. it's one clip of a one second. Anyway, uh, you're getting two. <laughs> two for the price of one this week, everybody. Uh, and I believe it is me to guess first. Am I right? Yes, it is. So I'm going to play Rob the very first second of a Eurovision song. I'm just going to jog your memory a little bit. It's been two weeks since we've done it. Actually, I think it's been longer. It might be three weeks since we've done a one second song. It's been a very long time because we didn't do one in the build-up to Rotterdam during Almost Life in Rotterdam because we had, you know, a lot on anyway. Uh, too much, some would say. Um, but yes, it's been a long time. So go on, 
Remind everybody. I shall. So yeah, three weeks since we've done one. So to jog your memory, we're going to play each other the very first second of a Eurovision song. And all we have to do, and all you have to do listening, is to guess the title of the song, the artist who performed it, the year in which it was performed, and the country it was representing. Very, very simple. So he says, anyway, we'll soon find out if it is indeed very, very simple. So Rob, for you to begin with, here is your first one second song. I mean, that's too easy, isn't it? Oh, no, is it? Is it? I think it is. I mean, let's play it again. But I think that's really, really easy. We've got two to get through this week, so I'm just going to go straight in with an answer. No messing around. Are you sure you're going to do that? Yeah, I think so. Okay, okay. Uh, If that's what you want to do, I'll let you do that. No problem at all. Seeing as we're in the mood to reflect, uh, should tell you listeners... And this is difficult because I can't remember what episode it was on. Uh, there is an episode of an early Euro trip uh, where I make an absolute tit of myself, uh, <laughs> where I think it was one song and it very much wasn't. Uh, and that may be about to happen again. I think, and I'm going to go, as I said, very confidently into saying that it is San Marino 2021 Adrenalina Senate and Flowrider. <laughs> yes, it is. Ta-da. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I thought, right, we're going to do one final one second song. I'm going to try and fool them with a song from 2021. <laughs> and even when I heard it there, when you played it for the first time, I thought, oh, crap, that's so easy, isn't it? I'm burning up with affliction. Give me your full attention. I want you to tame my fire well, I mean, I see sort of what you've done there, because that is the last and most recent Eurovision song we've seen on the Eurovision stage, song 26 on, on the Saturday night. So I sort of see what you did. Yes, indeed. It was the last one. That wasn't that wasn't in my mind when I chose it, actually. Um, so thanks for trying to back me up there with, uh, with some choices. But yes, it was the last song we heard on the Eurovision stage. It came in 22nd place overall. Quite a shock result, I think it has to be said, with 50 points overall. Right then, do you want yours? Yes, please, Rob. Let's see if I can get four points as well. Although I'm not holding out much hope. That is much harder than my offering, isn't it? <laughs> Only slightly. I don't think it sounds like a Eurovision song. It sounds like something else. Let me hear it one more time and then I'll get back to you. Uh, yeah, it honestly, it sounds like a different song entirely. I'm trying to remember what it is. It's like... It's this killer content that you're going to miss, everybody, when we're gone, isn't it? What's that song? It sounds like... It'll come to me about three days' time and I'll go, that's the song. It sounds like... I'm never going to remember what it is. And also, I certainly don't know what that is at all. Oh, dear me. I think, you, I think you're going to pinch yourself when you uh, when you find out what it is. But come on, let's get your ridiculous guess. Ridiculous guess. Incoming. I'm going to say it is... I think it's early. It sounds very early. Well, not very early, but I'm going to say it's the 90s. I'm going to choose the year first. I'm going to say 1993. No, 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 I'm not. I'm not. I've totally changed my mind. I'm going to say 1991. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say it's France. Mm-hmm. Full stop. 
That's not my guess. I'm not guessing the band's called Full Stop or anything. I'm just saying I don't know what else to contribute to that. But that's what I think it might be. So you think it was France 1991? Yes, I do. You would be very, very wrong. Okay. Okay. How wrong am I? Oh, well, you're 11 years out for a start. Right. Okay. Uh, Wrong country. Uh, Yeah, so you couldn't really be further away. (laughs) I picked this because I thought it was very apt given that it is our final episode, after what has been one heck of a year. We've had a lovely time. So, the final one-second song of the season. From 1980, Johnny Logan for Ireland, with What's Another Year. it is isn't it it's so obvious oh my goodness me as if i'd get a eurovision winning song incorrect on the one second song that's call yourself a eurovision fan Uh, that song number one in the uk as well as ireland israel belgium norway portugal sweden number two in switzerland and west germany number three in the netherlands number five in austria and they weren't huge fans of it in denmark but they were fans enough to give it number six well, there you go, and that is the 1980 Chart Rundown with Rob Lilly. Pick of the pops. <laughs> wow, well, I think we've done it. I think we have come to the end of the road for the, let me say it again, 2020-2021 season. We're done and dusted. <laughs> we certainly are. Honestly, it's been amazing. It's been brilliant. I don't think either of us realised quite what a beer moth this podcast would become when we began it back on, as James said, the 5th of August 2020 was the very first episode. And since then, you have joined us in your thousands. You have sent us hundreds of lovely messages. We have spoken to so many amazing people, heard so many great stories, and most importantly, just celebrated the Eurovision Song Contest. Yes, we have. And as Rob said, he said it earlier, we didn't expect it to become this big. We have, I was probably just going to end up repeating everything Rob said there, to be honest with you, received so many lovely comments about all of the wonderful people that we've chatted to in excess of 120 guests we've welcomed on the podcast, which just seems ridiculous to tell us some of their wonderful stories about Eurovision's gone by and looking ahead to Eurovision 2021. And we just had an absolute ball doing this every single week, doing at least one episode a week, sometimes two, sometimes three. In fact, during Eurovision week, let's not forget, we did seven episodes during that week, one a day. And what a ride it has been. It certainly has. Thank you so much for being there. Thank you to Cloudwater Soda and Queer Brewing as well for supporting us for the last little part of our ride this year. Sorry, that honestly sounded like I was trying to bring Rafale back into the conversation and I can only promise you I wasn't. Yeah, it did. And I also mentioned the ride earlier on and I thought you were going to 
pick up on it and he didn't thankfully and yet now I've just dobbed myself in it and mentioned the fact that I mentioned the vibe but anyway I could list off everybody we could thank because we've had so many people help us along the ride I've said it again oh dear me we've had so many people help us with the podcast over the last few months uh, but I think the biggest thanks goes to you Rob for, for letting me join you and of course thanks to all of the listeners who have joined us I'm going to say it again for the ride well, thank you very much for being here, James. Honestly, it's been an absolute pleasure to do this podcast with you, which is why we will be back. Fear not. A few weeks off, we're going to rest, we're going to recharge the batteries, and then it is full steam ahead to Italy 2022, when I'll be back, James will be back, and if you're lucky, ho, 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 the old wagon will be back on the podcast. Unbelievable. I can't believe. I totally forgot about him. But anyway, I think it's probably time to wrap up. So, until we are back with you, whenever that may be over the summer, don't forget to subscribe, leave us a review, and rate us five stars. For the final time from me in the 2020-2021 season, it's goodbye. And from me, Rob, for the final time. Ciao. Wow, ciao. Yeah, it's Italian, isn't it? Oh, it's Italian, yes. Yeah, very good. Very good. Good. I think we can end the podcast on your stupidity. (laughs) See you soon, everybody. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.